Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with the podcast Hodgepot, and I have a return guest. He was just on a few episodes ago, and Zach Brown joins me from his podcast, ZB's Horsepower Talk. It covers NASCAR racing and all different types of racing. And uh, Zach, welcome to my podcast again. We're going to be talking about the race out in L.A. a little bit and the Daytona 500 and a few other things about racing. Welcome. Welcome. Well, Rob, I appreciate you having me on again. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I heard your podcast you did with your father on the greatest all-time, five greatest all-time NASCAR drivers. I really liked it. It's so 8 o'clock. If you really like NASCAR racing, ZB's Horsepower Talk covers all things racing. So it's a, it's a great podcast, and I think you'll like it after each week of racing. So, Zach, we got a race coming up uh, this week. It's at the Coliseum in Los Angeles, known for hosting Olympics. And uh, I know Bristol is kind of small, but what's this race about uh, coming up here at the Coliseum? So NASCAR wanted to do something different a couple of years ago and change up uh, everything, how they started off the season. So the season used to start off at Daytona, which was called the Clash, the Shootout, whatever you wanted to call it at Daytona. And Daytona was really called a Speed Weeks thing, and that was plural Speed Weeks. Now it's just Daytona Speed Week. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a preview of the Daytona 500. It was like a about a quarter of how long the actual Daytona 500 was. And it was just to kind of get the blood flowing and get everybody pumped up to get ready for Daytona. I don't know why NASCAR decided to change everything up. Uh, they decided that, hey, where isn't a track at? Well, there isn't one inside the uh, Los Angeles Coliseum. So let's have the brilliant idea of building a brand new track inside of the Coliseum. And we're doing that multiple years now. Instead of and making all these teams that are East Coast based travel out to the West Coast and then immediately have to go back to the East Coast. So that's cost efficient, obviously. And uh, it's a, it's a quarter mile track. And it's so it's half the size of Bristol. The banking is more or less like Martinsville, a very, very flat track. Uh, these cars are just too big for it, in my opinion, and there's too many of them racing in it. And it's, they all get, I think they're turning, I don't know, 12 second laps or something ridiculous like that. And they catch up to the rear of the field so very quickly. Uh, nobody in LA really cares about NASCAR anyways. And NASCAR is doing it at a time that nobody's going to want to go to anyways, because they got to work the next day. Last year, there was really nobody in the crowd. I don't expect too much uh, different this year. Half the size of Bristol. That, well, Bristol is. Right. I saw some video the other day promoting it, and uh, the cars. How many cars are in the race? I mean, how many cars can you fit in a race? I think they had twenty four, something like that, last year. And it, just how wide and uh, everything these cars are, it, it's just too big for this type of track. The concept, I guess, the idea of it is kind of okay, I guess they've been talking about adding like a short track race for years. And there's a track in North Carolina here called Bowman gray stadium and uh, a raceway, whatever they called it. And it was an old style track back in the fifties, sixties, NASCAR used to race on very, very small track, just like this Uh, cars are different now. And it's also, it's not inside of a giant Coliseum. It's just weird to me. Yeah. It, uh, it, they've had the Olympics there, you know, USC football plays there, the Rams and the, 
Raiders played there many years ago when they were in uh, Los Angeles, but uh, a race there. I'm going to have to check that out this weekend to see how fast the cars are going. That's going to be pretty interesting. <laughs> I, it's amazing. How fast do the cars go, by the way? They don't go like they do like at Daytona or no. Charlotte, do they? No. No, they topped out, I think, down the straightaway, I think 75 to 80 maybe. <laughs> And uh, and they get down. I think they got down to maybe even like the like thirty or something in the corners. It, it's it's very slow paced, and but the the race goes by pretty quickly, uh, as you can imagine. There's, I think it's a hundred laps, two hundred laps, something like that. But that goes by so fast on a quarter mile track. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. All right, so that race is coming up, and then we have the big one. The uh, I guess you could call it the Super Bowl of NASCAR. And that is yes. the Daytona 500. And from what I read the other day, that it is sold out this year. Is- yes, and that's generally every year that it will be sold out, minus the COVID year, of course. Right. But uh, yes, the Daytona 500 in general, it's the biggest race. I'm going to say in motorsports, you can argue Indianapolis 500 as well. This is the Super Bowl for NASCAR. They start off with the biggest race and. It's called the Great American Race for a reason. It is such an exciting time. The pre-race, concerts all week, everything, the crowds that come into Daytona, it's tremendous. Like I said, it used to be two weeks. Now it's down to one week, so you got to enjoy just that a little bit more. Yeah, I saw Pitbull was Pitbull would be doing a concert there before the race, I believe. So I think that they got the A-listers there. Two-and-a-half-mile track, 200 laps. It's February 18th, 2.30 Eastern, 1.30 Central Time, Daytona International Speedway. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is a defending champ. And I don't know whether my phone is picking up algorithms because I'm watching things with uh, on YouTube with uh, Crank It Up or NASCAR <laughs> races, but I saw something today on Instagram. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. went into a Waffle House in Daytona with his trophy that he got, and he walked in there, and there must have been three people eating in there. I thought that was awesome that he did that. Hey, I mean, I mean, these guys are just humans like anybody else. You right. got to eat somewhere. That's right. And they yeah. were probably partying. I'm going to say they were partying pretty hard after that race. And it's a one car <laughs> team that won it too. It's a very small team. So uh, the cure for a lot of um, hangovers and drinking is uh, <laughs> generally Waffle House, as I used to do in college. Yes. And uh, well, uh, that trophy that he had is humongous and he literally pretty much had to really hold it and he put it on the table there and the people, the employees at the waffle house were, were very much, they were cheering for him. And there must've been like, like I said, three or four people in there. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) I thought that was neat. So uh, we'll talk about the race a little bit later, but when I was looking at the, uh, the history of the race, Richard Petty, obviously the, the greatest of them all won seven races. Kelly Yarbrough, he won four races. And then you have a, a group of, drivers bobby allison dale jarrett jeff gordon and denny hamlin all have been three-time winners but we'll get into the other winners as well but uh if you win that race that changes your life forever doesn't it yes it's almost getting your uh hollywood star fame as uh you would have out there for (laughs) acting and everything they literally will mold your hands to uh cement and they have that uh, displayed in the museum down there uh, at Daytona, you have it's al- it's almost as big as winning the championship. You get shipped off everywhere, New York, give interviews and everything. Say, like, hey, you just won this race, wow. all of that. Again, it is the biggest race uh, for NASCAR. It is their Super Bowl, so it, you can imagine how big of a deal it is. And it's uh, it's it's just a uh, 
tremendous goal of these drivers and there's drivers in the field that have tried for two decades and still haven't even gotten it. That is, that is unbelievable. And when you look at the past uh, winners like Richard Petty, he won his first one in 64 and then his last one, his seventh in 1981. So that was in 17-year span, he won seven. And then Kelly Yarbrough, 68 to 84, and uh, he won four. So, and he went back-to-back in 83 and 84. So I remember these drivers from the 90s, Dale Jarrett won three times, 93, 96, 2000, Jeff Gordon which you discussed on your previous podcast with your father of the greatest, five greatest, uh, 97, 2005, 1999, and Denny Hamlin. I totally missed that one. 2016, 19, and 20. That is unbelievable, even just to win three. Yes. Yes, I've had Denny Hamlin spotter uh, Chris Lambert as one of the guests on the show on the last season, and he talked about it as well, and he's been there for all of Denny's Daytona 500s as uh too so he kind of you know bragged about it a little bit of course you're going to uh do that and Danny's still an active driver and he's still uh, trying to uh, break that tie with a bunch of people and try to get into the uh the list that people have not not too many people have gotten to which is four daytona 500s yeah if he got four he would be in the class of kelly yarborough and richard petty so that is that's pretty yep. awesome uh pretty awesome class to be with of, of of course, and the difference though, Denny Hamlin doesn't not he still does not have that, which is crazy to think. Does not have that championship, which he's been trying and trying and trying, and it just keeps uh, eluding him. And here's some two time winners: Bill Elliott, Sterling Marling, Dale Jer- Dale Earnhardt Jr., Michael Waltrip. I forgot he won in 2001 in that crash by Dale Earnhardt, and then he won it in 2003. Yep. Jimmy Johnson, 2016, mm-hmm. 2013, and Matt Kenseth, 2009, 2012. So a lot of two-time winners as well. So all the big names in racing have won, and then you have your single-car winners. So you have Dale Earnhardt, Ward Burton, Kevin Harvick, Ryan Newman, Jamie McMurray, Trevor Bain, Joey Logano, Kurt Busch, Austin Dillon, Michael McDonald, Austin Sindrick and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who won last year. So in a span of, what, 25 years, there were 12 first-time winners for the Daytona 500. Going to your point there, you win it, and you are immortalized forever. Of course, and uh, Trevor Bain, he when he won, I believe he was 20 years old, and I think he was the youngest at the wow. time that won the Daytona 500. And that is his only win of his career, and he won for – the iconic Wood Brothers 21. So that I remember that, and I remember how pumped up he was. Uh, Austin Sendrick, that was his very first win of his career as well. He's still racing. Got a lot of promise there, and I expect him to get wins in the future. But, uh, yeah, it's it's insane to think some people will come out and that they've tried for decades, they can't get it, and then you see rookies come in and they win it their first year. And uh, Dale Earnhardt, it took him two decades as well. He led literally every single lap except the last one until he finally actually wow. won in 1998. So there, there's so many uh, just iconic and memorable Daytona 500s, and you listed a few of the winners, of, of course, from those. Did you say Trevor Bain has won only one race and was the Daytona 500? Is that correct, or did I in the it? in the Cup Series? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Okay, wow, that's a, that's incredible, Trevor Bain. Wow. So when you look at the, you had your five top racers of all time that you did with your father. It was a, it was a good discussion who you had. And uh, who did you have as your top five? Oh, here we go. You're going to try to get me uh, uh, some uh, controversy once again. It, no, it's, no, it's, no, uh, no, no. Definitely had some, 
it's definitely had some kickback, especially some uh, some of the old timers. But I, I kind of look at the level of competition that from the past into the present. Presently, these drivers, they're the the competition window. With everybody's so close, and everybody is uh, such a great racer. They've raced since they were five years old. Back in the day, you had only had a couple racers that were actually very competitive. Some of them had the benefit of having way better equipment than everybody else. Well, now the playing fields, as level as you can get to, now comes down to how good of a driver you really are. Uh, yes, you will have the you need a team, and I discussed this with my dad too. You need a team to be successful uh, in NASCAR, but you also have to obviously be a pretty good driver. So, yeah, so my uh, the, my number five was Kyle Busch, who's still racing right now. He's got a two-time champion. He's got over 200 wins across the three series of NASCAR, the Truck Series, uh, what is now the Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series, of course. The two Cup Championships, he's got championships in the Xfinity Series. And he doesn't have one yet in the Truck Series because he hasn't raced a full-time year, I don't believe, in the Truck Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one of his goals, to finally get one. Uh, before he ends up retiring fully. Uh, then I moved up to Jeff Gordon, and I know a lot of people thought that was really low. Uh, the biggest reason is my top three have seven championships. If you have seven championships, that's got to elevate you up the list. Uh, yeah. Jeff Gordon had four. Uh, obviously, one of the greatest drivers ever, and you can kind of pick and choose which position you want Jeff Gordon, uh, and he can still do it to this day. Uh, then I had, and this, is, this one kind of made some uh, old-timers mad. I had Dale Earnhardt. And he didn't have as many wins as the top two, but he's seven-time champion. Uh, but kind of slowed down towards the tail end of his career. Obviously, it was cut short with Daytona. You can't really say anything negative about Dale Earnhardt. I mean, he he was a guy's guy. That's who you wanted to be. That's what, who everybody wanted to be. And a lot of, obviously, controversy saying that he was not the most popular driver while he was racing pretty crazy because i'm pretty sure he was bill elliott took the uh the crown there you can say what you want but bill i mean dale earnhardt definitely was the most popular driver during his time and then i had uh jimmy johnson as number two and i for the longest time while jimmy was having that success he had five championships in a row yeah and this is going from different different styles of cars and all these rule packages changes that nascar made now this is an era obviously where we have what's currently called the playoffs what used to be called the chase whatever it is the final it came down to the final 10 races some people don't weigh that as much as uh consistency throughout the year what people don't realize is that jimmy johnson was pretty consistent throughout all the year with their then he got going when he really needed to. But five championships in a row, you just don't see that, and you'll never see that again. Kale Yarbrough did three in a row, and mm. to pass that and have two on top of that, absolutely insane. So that's why he jumped Dale Earnhardt for me because of those five championships in a row. You, and, again, you'll never see that again. He had more wins than Dale, too. Uh, he just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. I had to kind of give Jimmy Johnson the flowers there. And my my number one of all time, whether he had the best equipment or not for the era, he still had over 200 wins, uh, Richard Petty, and all, all those Daytona 500 wins. I mean, it, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and he did it for a long time. He did it through a bunch of different eras. He had so many different cars he raced as well. Now, we honorably mentioned David Pearson, and he had 105 wins. And if obviously he raced a little bit longer, Richard Petty might have had less than 200 wins and David Pearson would have had more. It's just hard to condense it down to five. But you also have to look at the, again, the competition level with the modern era. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of go back that there weren't that many drivers that were 
as competitive with one another back in the day, especially the earlier days of NASCAR. Now, everybody's pretty even, so who stands out now? And that's how I took that list. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, he had Jeff Gordon above uh, Jimmy Johnson. The fact that Jeff Gordon was kind of the last one to be able to do it with uh, going through the entire season mm -hmm. and not having to rely on the last 10 races as well. So I get it kind of both ways. But you got to make a top five somewhere, Heck yeah. and you got to kind of throw somebody in. And, and it's and again, it, it, I love a little bit of uh, uh, debating with people. That's what makes a lot of fun. I like to see what other people's opinions are. I, I, I think it's really interesting what other uh, people are saying, and kind of gives you a different perspective of what everybody grew up on and kind of what they're thinking as well. So yeah, that was my top five, and yeah, I, I mean. Wow! Again, that's what that's what's about sparking a little bit of debate, and that's always fun. It is fun, and uh, you know, you had mentioned Dale Earnhardt. It's amazing. I love looking at the body of work of like athletes and things. Dale Earnhardt won in 80, 86, 87, 90, 91, 93, 94. That is just remarkable run there. Jeff Gordon ninety five, ninety seven, ninety eight, two thousand one. Tony Stewart three time winner twenty two thousand two five and eleven. And then Jimmy Johnson had that five straight run. And then Daryl Waltrip, 81, 82, 85. Kevin Harvick, one-time winner. Brad Kozlowski, one-time winner, 2012. Matt Kenzick, Kurt Busch. Dale Jarrett, 1999. Rusty Wallace, 1989. I've had friends over the years, total Dale Earnhardt fans. They were all <laughs> number three. Didn't matter. They had the hat and everything, and they they loved it. The Intimidator, right? That was his name. Is that correct? Of course. Yep. Yes, the He's Intimidator. the Intimidator. He looked like the Intimidator with those glasses. And I remember in the early 2000s, Fox came out with this new concept, that, which I think really transcended any type of sports broadcasting, and that was the Crank It Up series, which I totally love when they do the race. They kind of let the race get what, 60, 70, 80 laps, and then they crank it up, and they don't do any announcing for a couple of minutes. And I love that because if you have a surround sound on your television, you can get really revved up real quick. Yeah, and <laughs> it's also, if you don't like the commentators, gets them a chance to uh, <laughs> shut up, if you will. And I, I really like it, especially at the super speedway races, Daytona, Talladega, when they have that and they just hear the cars going by one by one. one oh, it's just absolutely incredible. It's kind of anticlimactical when you have – uh, let's say a race at the clash. If they do a crank it up, I'm like, well, they're like barely touching the <laughs> gas. But when you get to Daytona, yes, that's pretty cool. And yes, in fact, I do often uh, turn up the TV's volume a little bit and just uh, have a little bit of the race inside my house as well. You thought about it. they should just do a, a crank it up race with just crank it up. I think that would be really awesome. So I watched a couple of them from, from previous years from Daytona. And one in 2014, it wasn't the 500, but it was a race at Daytona International Speedway. And it was about two minutes, but I wrote down some notes about it. And this is just what I gathered. So the cars are really like close, what, inches or feet, right? Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, they, a lot of times they're bumper to bumper. I mean, there's not much room for air and you rely heavily on your spotter and watching out your uh, rear view mirror as well. Yeah, well, here's this. So I love that there's an iconic shot. You probably know, you've probably seen it at Daytona. They're, they go over, I don't know what turn it is, and then they have a pan that's a long shot view, and they pan, and they pan the camera right to left as the cars are going. I think that is an iconic yes. shot. I love that shot. It's incredible. All the cars are humming, and it really, it's a, it's a great, it's a, it gets you pumped up watching. I really like it. 
But uh, it's really incredible because when you watch uh, Crank It Up, you're actually seeing like when they go inside the car, you have the car in front of you, in the rear, to the left, and then you have a wall. So you have four things that you have to worry <laughs> about going 200 miles an hour. And then when I was watching it today, and I've watched it a few times, the car like it, it comes off the incline and it's just nice and slow. It's a nice, soft, flat track. And that is like, I don't know how those drivers like focus on what they're doing, but it's incredible when they show like the cars, you know, behind them and they do the camera and they're like, literally <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow. And then you hear the spot or the going, all right, go right, right, right. Go, 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 go. You know, like left, left, left. You know, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yes. And it takes, like I said, for a lot of success, especially for the Daytona 500, you have to have a very good spotter and a lot of trust in your spotter as well. And you have to understand that you have a split second to, if you're clear, you're not going to be clear long. So if you're going to make a move, you better make it right then and there. Otherwise just stay where you are and just let, just stay it, keep it straight. Try not to get out of line. And it's very easy for the cars to get loose because the, the way the uh, aerodynamics work on these cars, if you get too much left on a bumper, gets the car a little bit, uh, squirrely going into a corner, squirrely meaning a little bit loose, and the rear end does like to come around. So there's certain areas you want to do what's called bump draft, and you don't want to bump draft through a corner. And now, if you're on the last lap of the Daytona 500 going for the win, you're doing everything you can to win. That, that's different. But you go through the race, it's all about weathering the storm. How aggressive do you actually want to be getting through the Daytona 500 or any of these speedway races? Uh, you'll see a lot of veteran drivers just hang out in the back and they'll, they they're like we'll wait till the end we don't need to get up into that uh danger uh, zone right now because there's a lot of young drivers that i've got to lead a daytona 500 i got to get it done well they don't have the experience they get caught up in a wreck and it's what's called the big one and that happens quite often at these races the other camera angle i really love on crank it up is the actual camera that's on the track or in the track as the cars are going by. I'm trying to figure out how that's done, but uh, it's incredible how when the cars are going over the camera, they don't break the camera. I don't know what technology that is, but that is fascinating. It's just like they're just blowing by there, and then they have the side views of the track. I mean, it's just like it's like a blur. In like five seconds, all the cars are gone by. How fast are those cars going at uh, Daytona? They will consistently go 190 to 200 throughout the entire race, unless obviously cautions and stuff. But they are, I mean, their foot's on the gas the whole time. And the way the draft builds up, they will stay at that speed the entire race. Yeah, I, I, I love Crank It Up. I can't talk about it enough. Sometimes I'll watch it on YouTube. It really gets you jacked up just to get ready for the race. I watched <laughs> it right before I came on today just so we could, uh, just, I could talk about it because the cars are just like so close and the hand-eye coordination and your spotter, like you said, and even the physical condition of the drivers, too, because you're in a car that's probably hot. You, you, you're, you need yes. to stay hydrated. I don't know how they hydrate, but that's all factored in, too. They must be, like, wiped out after each race. Oh, yes, and, and nowadays the technology is so incredible, how to try to keep the drivers cool. They'll have literally cool suits, which – uh, there's a couple ways they do it. Some of them even have kind of like internal coils that kind of keep it cool. It's whole technology, almost similar to how you would do with uh, staying cool in a football game, those type of things. Also, they have quite literally ice packs that they'll throw, they'll throw inside of the suit and try to keep them cool. They hydrate. They have uh, 
and you kind of it's similar to kind of what a camel pack is how you can bite down on it and you can drink uh the water it goes right through their helmet Mm. and there's a giant water bottle that they have and they can get it switched out during the race with their pit crew they'll just hand it through uh the window and everything get a drink they'll drink during their uh cautions um if you got to pee well sorry about it's a long race so i mean that's it, it happens uh but yes the uh the cars will be anywhere i mean depending on how hot daytona is but i've seen it between 120 140 uh degrees inside of that car it just all depends uh how hot and humid Florida wants to be in February. February is generally not terrible for that. Now the summer race in Daytona, it gets very, very, very hot, especially with the sun beating down on that track. It gets pretty, uh, pretty hot in that car. Yeah, and you know the other camera angle I like is when the camera's in the car and they put it in the back there to the cars behind them and how close and even how they're moving. It's just remarkable. I think that's revolutionized how car racing has actually brought fans in, don't you think, to, you know, just with like something as simple as that. Yeah. And again, it's for those fans that don't understand that there's so much more to a NASCAR race than just making left turns. And that's the general consensus. Oh, they're just making left turns going in a circle. I'm like, go ahead and watch some of these races. There's a (laughs) lot going on in these cars. Listen to the in-car radio. Listen to how much communication is going on, specifically Daytona and Talladega and Daytona 500. You'll hear it. And they'll actually have the the spotters. Well, they'll go a whole lap. That's another segment they added on top of Crank It Up. And I think sometimes Crank It Up, they'll even have the spotters kind of uh, yeah. uh, their voices go in to Crank It Up too. <laughs> and you hear how busy and chatter, how much chatter goes on that radio. It's like, I don't know how any of the drivers stay focused, but I guess it's learning to adapt and it's all about experience. And yeah, the, all these camera angles just showing how tight these races are what these drivers have to do. I love the view of the driver when it's right on them. You can see yeah. them battling that yes. car because it's not yeah. just doing this. I mean, they, they will be doing this the entire race and you don't realize it. And yeah, I mean, those, those cars going 200 miles an hour, you go like this. Yeah. That's, that's a little nerve wracking. Do this on the highway going 70 <laughs> uh, miles an hour, going uh, t- turn your steering wheel back and forth a little bit. That's not uh very fun to do. No, it's not. It's not, but it, that was, I just had to talk about crank it up. I remember, 20 years ago, uh, uh, you guys I used to work with, they would talk about it. And I said, you see Crank It Up? I said, yeah, that's when we had VHS and record it. You could watch it back and play it back. <laughs> so I thought that was, uh, yes. it's pretty it's pretty neat. So talk about your podcast while we're uh, here. Talk about your podcast, ZB's Horsepower Talk again. Uh, how often does it come out? And then we're going to get into the favorites of the race. And maybe we'll talk a little bit of football too, because we talked football last time. Yeah, and the Super Bowl is right around the corner. Talking yeah. about the Super Bowl of uh, NASCAR, the actual Super Bowl is right around the corner. Yes, yeah, so we started season two, and we had our uh, live show, live stream uh, that kicked off the season. We had a couple guests come on, uh, ARCA Series driver, which, again, I, I told before, kind of the prequel going into the uh, major NASCAR series. He came on, talked about his year and his upcoming races. He'll be racing at the Daytona ARCA race here in a couple weeks as well. I believe it's the day before the Daytona 500. And uh, I had another guest on, dirt racer Lance DeWeese, a Hall of Famer in that too. Talked about kind of a a crazy 2023 and how uh, 2024 is uh, looking ahead and seeing where he's going to race and kind of what's on his schedule. Um, And each week what I've introduced is a top five segment. So uh, I send it every week to uh, my dad now just saying, hey, this is what we're going to do next week. 
this past week was the top five NASCAR drivers of all time, in our opinions. The week before was the top five dirt racers of all time. And coming up uh, on this next episode, um, and it's a weekly uh, episode, mm-hmm. week, uh, weekly uh, show, releases once a week uh, throughout the racing season. But this week's top five is the uh, top five tracks that we want to see the Clash race at if NASCAR insists on not racing it at, at Daytona. Where would we like to see it at? So something to to kind of think about, and it gets a lot of people involved, and I love seeing comments. Again, this is all about debate, and when you have a little bit of debate, that brings in new audiences and brings in different perspectives and kind of gets the word out there on the show. So it's been a lot of fun adding those in, and I also give my dad a trivia question every single week, <laughs> and I don't even tell him about it until I ask him right while we're recording. So gets him to thinking, and I post that on uh, all my social medias and stuff, and kind of start. And people are like, "Oh, what's they, they like to try to answer the question at the same time?" And you can you can kind of tell people doing that too. So yeah, this this season's uh, already taking off, and I think the words finally. Uh, getting out there about the show it's not just primarily nascar but all all across racing sure. and we've actually got dirt racing starting here uh, in a little bit that we'll be previewing as well with the nascar series i did hear the episode you did with your father like i said earlier about the top five all-time racers i thought it was a great and you and your father had a different uh different take on who the top five were so that's always good for discussion as well i forgot yes. to tell you the last time my brother used to uh he was the director of operations at the nashville super speedway in uh Na- in lebanon new hampshire oh, wow uh 20 years ago and uh, my wife was telling me after we did our podcast you should tell uh zach about uh the time he, my brother got us passes we went to uh pit row right before the race and i'll never forget it, it was pretty yes. cool everybody was calm all the racers were calm i'd be like jacked up ready to go but uh i remember scott riggs had the nest quick the nest quick car uh scott riggs he was a racer i don't even know if he was racing uh anymore but uh, i don't remember any other racers but i do remember that it was loud we brought our ear our ear covers and, <laughs> but uh it was uh that pit roll right before the race was pretty neat Yes, and I think since the last time we've been on here, I officially will be going to the Indianapolis 500 this year, talking about Pit Road. Nice. My dad and I will be going to it, and that was his uh, little Christmas present for him. And where we will be sitting is right before the cars get onto Pit Road, we'll be in the stands, and you can see them right before we get oh, to start finish man. line, like in between three and four and right at the pit entrances, so we'll be able to see everything. Wow. We're definitely uh, jacked up about that one, so... Yeah, ask me after that and say which uh, spectacle is the bigger one, Daytona or Indianapolis, and I might have a different opinion then. <laughs> well, you know, they're both awesome races, and uh, I know that is uh, a lot of fun. But um, So who are the favorites this year? Who would you pick your top three favorites if you had for the Daytona 500? Every year's different. Is there anybody that uh, top three you're looking for? Well, I'm actually I'm looking at someone who's never won it, and I've mentioned it before. He's tried for a couple of decades now. I think this is year 19 or 20 he's going to be trying it, and he was on my top five list, Kyle Busch. He's never won the Daytona 500. Uh, it came very close last year, uh, the way cautions and crashes uh, worked themselves out. Uh, he got caught up in a crash, I believe, at the second green-white checkered uh, otherwise, he pretty much had that race uh, in the bags if he would have just made a round to the white mm-hmm. flag. If they would have just made it to the next flag, he would have won. So he's come close multiple times. Kind of sounds familiar like Dale Earnhardt was. Um, I'm looking at Kyle Busch as a favorite. 
and obviously you can't go wrong with Denny Hamlin, three-time winner, Daytona 500. He's obviously a favorite going in. The winningest active Daytona 500 driver right now can't really go against him. I'm also looking at what small teams will have a possibility to win this because one-car teams like Ricky Stenhouse just won it last year. It's not the first time either. Trevor Bain won it before, and there's been several others as well. I'm looking at Michael McDowell. Had a very successful year uh, last year for a very small team. Very, very uh, great and underrated super speedway racer. Uh, I think he will. he's got enough experience now. He will find his way to be there at the end. It might surprise a lot of people, too. If he's, and he usually keeps the car pretty clean. Now, I probably jinxed him. But generally, <laughs> he uh, he keeps the car clean. He knows where to find the holes and where the lines are and which which line to be in at the very end. So those are some of the drivers I'm, I'm looking at, too. Uh, I think the I think and there's probably going to be the Vegas books, too. I would assume Danny Hamlin's probably going to be the odds on favorite mm-hmm. just based on he is the winningest active Daytona 500 driver right now. That is, uh, I'm going to watch the race this year. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, with COVID, COVID kind of messed things up a little bit. And, and it was, did, did they yes. do the race? Did they, uh, COVID, was there a crowd there for 2000? I can't remember, 2020? I can't so, remember. So in 2020, it was February. So it was yeah. before all the COVID stuff actually hit. And then they kind of went to a virtual season. Half the year it was kind of weird. And they were still able to get the whole season in without crowds. After start, they restarted it, I think, at the end of April after we figured out we don't need any COVID. After they figured out it wasn't at the zombie apocalypse. But um, then 2021, I think because restrictions in Florida were not really – harsh or anything uh, they uh i think they still i think they had about a 50 percent crowd if i'm not mistaken in 21 and they went back to full time in 22 and obviously sold out the last two years uh highest purses uh to this date at this point last year the purse for the entire field was almost 24 million Whoa. i expect it to be higher this year Jeez. the winner will get i believe two million dollars two and a half million dollars to win it wow and I remember during COVID, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, NASCAR was one of the few sports that actually started to get things back up and running, if I remember correctly. They were running. It was just good to see some cars running in stadiums and racetracks that were empty. I thought it was they, – they were kind of the forerunners. Of like, I mean, you had baseball playing in empty stadiums. But NASCAR was pretty much – I believe, if I remember correctly, one of the leaders in all of sports to get things rolling back up and running, even though there was nobody there. Yeah, they they had their own restrictions, just like any other sport uh, did. Uh, it sucked not seeing any crowds anywhere, and that was for all the sports in 2020. Um, I think they did a really good job. Yeah, they did of keeping the keeping the ratings in. They were able to get all the races in. They raced uh, multiple races a week to try to get in as many races they ran double headers uh, to get it uh, all the races because some of the tracks they generally raced at they couldn't race because of the state restrictions so races like darlington they did a uh, back-to-back race to uh, at least try to get some races in there's 36 races in the season they were somehow able to do it even with those couple months of solid uh of just being in solitude and everything so uh and that's when that's what that really kind of kicked off and i guess in a good way for the covid year it kicked off uh, i racing to a new level 
got me back into which is the uh the virtual sim racing that all the nascar drivers are doing they broadcasted it on tv actually and uh got me back into to wanting to do it again and now that's taken off to a new level as well so there's some positive things that came out of COVID, of course and i don't want to get into any yeah, political that's side because that's yeah. not what i do in any podcast but no, yeah but no. yeah that, that was one of the sports uh, that tried to i guess make everything normal again uh, have some sort of feeling of normalcy and uh i think a lot of a lot of the sports followed suit to see that they could still at least make a season work um even if they couldn't have fans there i thought it was just nice to watch a race even with nobody in the track i thought it was awesome i thought it was it was great just to see yeah it wasn't something, wasn't too much different on tv because yeah. you just weren't there you didn't really have to worry about the crowd anyways uh, so the tv portion that that didn't really show too much of a difference uh, so that was yeah that was nice yeah so uh, football is uh, winding down the Super Bowl. We last talked on the, our last time we met. We were talking about our teams. My team uh, does not have Bill Belichick anymore, the New England Patriots. And the Eagles, your team, they had a rough time of it in the playoffs. I thought the Eagles were going to come through. Uh, but uh, the Super Bowl is San Francisco and Kansas City. So what do you think about that game? I think it's going to be a tremendous game. But uh, Kansas City, man, they just – they just put it on Baltimore in that championship game. The Chiefs remind me too much of your Patriots team when they went through the dynasty run. What teams turned it on just when the playoffs happened? I yeah. mean, they, they were kind of less than optimal throughout the year. They're, they kind of got by. They got their wins. They got their seeding that they needed to at least have a home playoff game. Then all of a sudden, everything's just clicking in the playoffs. That's – that's a testament to the coaching. Obviously, Andy Reid being an ex-Eagles coach, uh, I, I love that guy. He did a lot of stuff for Philly. Yeah. Uh, so you could probably guess who I'm probably rooting for in the the, the Super Bowl there. <laughs> but it, it, it's just, it's just amazing. This is Patrick Mahomes' sixth year, and he's been to four Super Bowls. That's that's absolutely incredible. That you don't see that, and that's very Tom Brady esque type thing, and the way the Patriots went through their runs. So. Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I never thought I would see another dynasty like the Patriots, and I think you're seeing it in front of our eyes, and I think a lot of people are taking it for granted too. Yeah, I agree, and uh, you know, Mahomes. My wife is a uh, Chiefs fan, and she's a Mahomey, so she's loving it, and uh, she, can't, <laughs> she can't she can't watch the games. But yeah, Mahomes is really uh, getting to that point now where you can talk about him being in that class and he is already there with Manning, Brady, Montana, Bradshaw, um, uh, Breeze. I'm probably missing a few guys, Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's, he's there in that class. And I think he will, you know, if he wins this one, you can start talking about him, you know, being in that class even better. I think the Chiefs and with the 49ers, Brock Purdy, I mean, he was the last pick in the draft. And it's incredible that he has played as well as he has. And people were, like, talking him talking him down before the championship game. And he came out in that second half. That was a tremendous second half. And what I've heard and I've, I hear it on – I listened to the, the Pat McAfee show, and, and Pat's said it very vocally many times when – you need plays to be made. Brock Purdy has come through and made it happen. He He's done it time and time again. People are doubting him. People are like, well, it's just Shanahan's system. Well, there's if you look at some of the passes he's making, there's some incredible passes that he's making. Now, there's some luck that goes into it. And, of course, this, you have to have some luck that goes into any sport to have success. 
some of the for, some of his passages, beautiful spirals coming out. The releases are quick. And his vision is absolutely incredible for a second-year player and mm-hmm. a player that was drafted very uh, last of the draft. The scrambles he made against the Lions, that was really what impressed me. I didn't realize he was that fast. And, I mean, people can keep doubting him, and he's kind of – he is one of the cool, chill, calm, collected dudes you see on the field too. Doesn't get overly excited, won't talk trash. He just goes about his business. You got to respect in someone like that too. So definitely an insane story of coming – being the last pick of the draft – are we seeing something similar too, kind of with yeah, this, and yeah, possibly the yeah. Patriots too? Yeah, the yeah, the Tom Brady. He was the, drafted in the sixth round, pick one ninety nine, and uh, he came in for Drew Bledsoe, and it never never changed after that. That's in, unbelievable, and it's amazing when you look at like the quarterbacks, like uh, Brady, Mahomes, and now Purdy. May if he gets this Super Bowl against the Chiefs, you know people are going to start talking about him now. You know with the 49ers I think it's going to be it's going to be pretty pretty neat this game coming up I, I don't know even know who to pick to be honest with you it's going to be a tremendous game Vegas doesn't know who to pick either they <laughs> uh, I think it's a one point spread at this point um because they've doubted Mahomes so often now they're doubting themselves to doubt Mahomes one point spread that's about as even as you're ever going to get yeah, I, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it matches up very well. The Chiefs' defense is what really has impressed me, uh, what Spagnuolo's done. they uh, I did not expect them to shut down Lamar like they did, and, and I think the Ravens had a very poor play-calling uh, game as well. They could have easily run the ball with Gus mm-hmm. Edwards a lot more than the two times that he had, which was absolutely just mind-boggling why that happened. Uh, the Chiefs just seemed to find a way. And the 49ers is a revenge game for them after a couple yeah. years ago losing to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So that's still in a lot of players' minds. There's still um, the significant amount of players that are on the team that had to experience that Super Bowl loss, obviously the head coach being one of them. Yeah, and Mahomes, I don't have his stats in front of me, but Mahomes had unbelievable stats at Texas Tech. That's just unbelievable, the stats he had in college. And Chiefs saw something in him, and the rest is history. So – Zach, I want to thank you very much for coming on my podcast. I know you're very busy with uh, other things, and um, I want to thank you for talking about the Daytona 500 as well as the uh, the Coliseum race in Los Angeles. Appreciate your time, and I thoroughly enjoy talking to you again racing. Maybe we can hook up maybe in the middle of the uh, the NASCAR season. Of course. I appreciate it. Anytime. It was a pleasure being on here.